Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton, your host, joined on this Sunday by Ian Boyd of InsideTexas.com. Ian, thanks for joining us. Uh, Ian is the our resident X's and O's expert, so we always go a little bit deeper uh, on these uh, podcasts on Sundays with uh, Ian, uh, but uh, we've come to expect that a little bit, and Ian's really good at uh, trying to give us the frank uh, conversation that we want out of these types of things. Ian, uh, you wrote a couple of things this week that I thought were interesting that we wanted to go over and talk about uh, in this podcast and maybe reiterate as well as explain further. One of them you actually got from a response to this last week's uh, podcast and video cast on YouTube uh, about it. And so I'm going to start with that one. Uh, possible strategic advantage for Texas that you see based on what type of offense and defense Texas has right now that's that you feel is somewhat uncommon in the Big 12, or at least has been for the last several years? Yeah, I think the question related to um, Texas being able to pair passing offense with passing defense. Like Obviously, they have very good receivers. We expect them to score points this year throwing the ball. And then they have a lot of good defensive backs as well, so it's hard for you to match them. Generally, the um, the adjusted statistics community thinks that uh, the the mantra, the common mantra in football is throw to score, run to win. And so I actually added that I think they have a third dimension as well. They have the capacity to score points quickly in games by throwing the ball, building leads on teams, being extremely hard to catch up against because they can play tight coverage on all your receivers. But then also, I think that they could retain the ability to get big on the line like they did last year, you know, find somebody to replace Andre Carriage or just play Gunnar Helm a lot, and then run the ball and run out clock. That's traditionally been extremely hard to do in the Big 12. Like even you look at Oklahoma's long run of dominance in the 2010s, uh, you know, with some Baylor championships sandwiched in there too, those teams would score in bunches. And they might be okay at defense or not, but they always had to sweat out shootouts. Those Lincoln Riley teams, even though they'd win, you know, they'd win 10 games every year, but that didn't mean that teams didn't give them a scare fairly often, you know? And a lot of that was because they couldn't play great pass defense or they couldn't run out the clock with the run game and just get big. You know, if you play a spread offense, the other team can always just load the box and dare you to keep throwing, you know? And so that becomes very difficult for a lot of these spread teams. But if you can get big, you know, and just and just lean on them and run on a tire defense, then checkmate. It, it, it sounds what you're describing, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it sounds like what Texas, a lot of what they did in Sark's first year in Austin, where they really got on top of people in that first half, but then they didn't, they couldn't move the ball in the second half, and the defense was too thin really to, and got too tired too quickly. Um, it, it sounds like you're describing something where they get on top of people early by throwing the ball, then run to win in the second half. And because they're better on defense, it allows them to lengthen out that lead and perhaps be more dominant. And, and we talked about on Friday's live show about how we think there may be some more blowouts for Texas this year as opposed to previous years, simply because they have a better defense and they should have a better scoring offense as well. Yeah, I had kind of forgotten about that misery of just watching them blow big leads every single week. 
they also they um their plan was obviously to you know they would play off coverage and they would say we're going to build a lead you may have a chance to come back but you're going to have to earn your way down the field you know first down after first down we're not going to give you big plays but then it was a possible to do that against their off coverage and b they would have they would start stacking up all these three and outs because they couldn't impose their will in the run game down the stretch and so it, the formula didn't work the difference is this year would be you know improved pass defense but then also that newfound ability where you know they didn't have kelvin banks in 2021 they couldn't line up a big mauling tight end outside of kelvin banks and just go at a weak spot on your on the perimeter of your defense for five yard gains over and over and over again um so they you can see the ideation in Sark's mind with how they've played, but they shouldn't be able to actually achieve that result this year. You think that they can do that though this year? Yeah. I mean, that, that's the point I'm getting at. I mean, we saw the blueprint, I thought, in 2021. Um, we didn't necessarily see it in 2022. They didn't get out to any big leads really uh, in 2022, right. uh, but they did in 2021. So is that more the blueprint of what you're talking about? is actually winning both halves, so to speak, because you are better in the secondary now. You do have better run defense, and you're able to press teams more from a defensive side of the football. Yeah, and you can you can stack more explosive passing plays early in the game, like they did at times in 2021 and didn't do as often in 2022. They also – we have to mention the uh, the new rule. The, the clock is not friendly to you if you're trying to come back from a big lead, especially if the other team is successfully running the ball. You get fewer possession, probably at least one fewer possession per game. You know, they still have the two-minute rule to encourage exciting finishes. But the hallmark of the Big 12 is that those exciting finishes would be enabled by a third and fourth quarter of uh, back-and-forth play. And you don't get those same opportunities with the new clock rules. So it should it should play to this potential strength even more. Well, it's interesting to me because I, I look at it and I'm I'm I think as a as a fan, you want to see Texas dominate. And that's really the description that I would say that you're trying to use here. They have that opportunity to get on top of teams almost like Alabama with Nick Saban did while Steve Sarkeesian was there and then just not let up, right? Because they could have both sides. Uh, and if a team had to try to play catch up with Alabama, it played right into their hands uh, because then they could pin their ears back uh, with the pass rush. They had good, good defensive backs and uh, it was Katie bar the door. I, I thought that was, thought that was interesting that you wrote about it from a statistical standpoint, check it out on InsideTexas.com if you want to read even further uh, about that from uh, Ian's perspective. Uh, Ian, the other article that really caught my eye uh, this week, I thought was terrific. Uh, you did gifts of six different touchdown runs for Jonathan, or six different runs for Jonathan Brooks in 2022. And you talked about what you thought he would be best at, whether it's that inside power, whether it's an outside zone play. I read it. Not everybody here has read it. Uh, describe what you were trying to get at with it since Brooks is going to be the number one back in Austin this fall. Yeah, he only had 30 carries last year because obviously he was splitting time with two NFL running backs. Um, 
of his 30 carries, five went for touchdowns. So when I was like, okay, I'm going to put together some clips of sort of Brooks highlights to sort of evaluate him. I thought, well, I'll just do every touchdown run. You know, that was a sixth of his, of his plays. Um, and so though, yeah, those are all gift in the, in the article, or you can find them on my, on my Twitter page. Um, and I thought that probably the, the consistent um, theme of his, of his productive touchdown runs is that he's a, really a classic zone plant and go runner. He's a, he, he's very smooth. He doesn't make like really hard, obvious cuts. Uh, they look very fluid, but you can see he'll make a decision and his acceleration when he, when he cuts is, uh, I mean, it, it might be a little bit faster than Bijan. I think Bijan would kind of uh, wait around a little bit because he had the speed and the lateral burst to, you know, get away with kind of last second breaks. Yeah, he could play with fire a little bit more. Yeah. Bijan could. Yeah. Brooks, Brooks might have a little bit of that as well, but that's not really his style. Um, he will make his decision and go. And that's what the zone running game is really all about. Like the the duo power runs that they used more for Bijan last year. You can wait a little bit before you make your cut. You can use the threat of the bounce, etc. Zone runs usually have more of, of a specific timing to them. You know, you aim for one spot on the field. And when you get to like your third step, you've read how things are going. You've made, you make your decision and then you go and you take off. Um, and so it's really about discipline, decision-making for the running back. And then having that burst when you make your cut. Uh, it's, it's really impressive watching him how often once he made his cut and he would blow into the, into the open lane you'd see guys that would seem to have him sized up for a hit. There was a couple, there's like at least one touchdown run that I had to replay a couple times to see if he had stiff armed this guy and I had just missed it. Or if he just made a miss in a narrow space cause his, cause he blew by him so fast on his cut. And it was the latter. Um, he's a very, very explosive player. He has a lot of big play potential. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Uh, interesting. Uh, the other thing that from that article that I gained, if he's the best at outside zone, you also potentially have the Longhorns' two best linemen on the outside in both Christian Jones and Kelvin Banks. How much could that play a role into the the efficiency and effectiveness of that of that run? Yeah, I really think it plays well to their strengths. I think last year outside zone was a little iffier because the chemistry across the line has to be very good to know, you know. Who's picking up who? When do I trade this guy off? How do I combo? It's a very technical play. And they had two freshmen and a true sophomore. But it 
um, you know, when, uh, when Jake Majors exploded onto the scene in 2020, it was on outside zone. He's like a prototypical outside zone center, you know, a little smaller maybe, but very quick, and very smart. Um, like uh, uh, Jason Kelsey, you know, he's not as good as Jason Kelsey. That's, that's Jason Kelsey for the, for the Eagles too. He's like 6'2", 280, right? But he's very fast, you know, very good at that play. I think that plays to major strengths really well. It'd be good for him to get back to that play. Christian Jones has always been good at that play because he's big, powerful, and athletic. Kelvin Banks can do anything, you know. doesn't really matter what you do. But anything outside zone, the, the running back aims initially for the outside of the offensive tackle. So you're threatening the defense with how are you going to deal with Banks or Jones and can you beat Brooks to the edge? And then usually you get a cutback inside when the defense overreacts. So I really think that play, play that scheme plays to their strengths as a team in a number of ways. You know, when you can double team with the tight end, it's very effective as well. And Texas has a few good blocking tight ends. So yeah, I expect we'll see a lot more of it. We saw a lot of it in 2021. I think we'll see more of it in 2023. Well, while you've seen uh, videotape uh, and you saw the spring game from Cedric Baxter, um, how does he compare with Jonathan Brooks as an outside zone, or is he more of a, a power guy? Because I, a lot of people, while there's Jaden Blue and Keelan Robinson and some others, a lot of people expect Baxter to eventually be, Baxter or Savion Red, to eventually be the number two guy in the backfield behind Brooks. You know, I would say outside zone is generally more of a power backs better scheme because there's a lot less like dancing in the hole and there's a very vertical hard cut. So like we've seen guys like uh, Arian Foster for the Texans, right? Was a big time outside zone running back. Um, and he was six one two thirty, plant and go, break and then you're when you when you cut if you make the cutback on outside zone you're cutting back against the grain of the defense so they may have to be like throwing arms at you to arm tackle you or trying to reach over and grab you so when you're a big powerful guy making that cut you're more effective um i had another example on the tip of my tongue that i that i lost when i was doing this but it's it's very normal for outside zone running backs to be big guys i think baxter you know He's athletic enough to, to run those power schemes and, and bounce late outside. But I kind of think his skill set is a little more suited to zone. Um, and it's just a matter of he didn't really run a lot of zone schemes in high school. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's really where he's most comfortable and where he really shines once he's at Texas, uh, just once he gets used to the, the reads and, and, and how you make your decisions on those plays. You know, we, we look at the running game uh, from Texas and whether it's power or outside zone, uh, what are the expectations really of it this year, in your your opinion, given that there seems to be such a emphasis right now from a lot of people, at least on Quinn Ewers in the passing game? I think they'll still want to run the ball quite a bit. I Presumably, if the passing game is as good as we think it's going to be, then teams are going to dare Texas to run at some point. Um, I don't know when in the season they'll make that calculation, but if things go according to plan, teams will start to do that. Um, they'll, by personnel or by alignment, they'll say, you know what, you run the ball down the field and see if you can do that. 
we'd rather we'd rather deal with that than deal with Xavier Worthy one on one or or whatever you know Texas is burning him on. So they I, they could I've been saying this for years because I keep thinking they might have an explosive passing dimension and then it doesn't quite come together. When you have that explosive passing dimension, you can end up running the ball quite a bit. Like uh, you know those those Clemson teams with uh, Travis Etienne would run the ball from the spread quite a bit. You know Jamal Charles in 2007, Deontay Foreman in, in 2016, that was, Texas was running the veer and shoot. They had their receivers split outside the hash marks uh, so that they could run the ball with Deontay Foreman. So I, w- I would think that because they have a deep room, I don't know if a single back is going to get a ton of carries, but I would think Brooks might lead the way with like 200 carries for around a thousand yards. And then either, you know, a lot of guys with 50 to 80 carries or maybe Baxter gets up to 100, 150 if he has a big season. And I still think they end up getting some numbers in the run game. Um, and uh, any, I want to ask you one last thing because news out of Destin, Florida this week about the the SEC schedule. You and I talked about it on Friday. I think you and I both like the eight game SEC schedule to start off with, right? As Texas slow walks into the um, SEC instead of some sort of baptism by fire, right? Um, yeah. It is advantageous. For yeah, I, I think so too, um, because it gives them a chance to walk, to be bold. I mean, it just it's it's one of those things where I feel like you have to walk before you can run sometimes. At the same time, there are going to be the, some fans that say, why, why are you all worried about anybody else and everybody else? And, you know, I think that I want to get your take on that as well as my own mind. Um, is a lot has to do with the big guys up front. You know, the the SEC is a, a kind of a knock knockdown drag out league, right? If you don't have the guys up front, people just wear you out. And so I feel like Texas probably needs one more year of recruiting on the defensive line before they're really, really ready for that sort of um that sort of game plan on an every week basis. Not that they can't handle it in one-offs, uh, but on an every week basis. Is that is that where you're at on that, or you just like the eight game in general? I don't know that I have super strong feelings in general for Texas. I think that it's definitely advantageous to Texas to not play one more SEC team. I'm with you. I think offensive line, they, they're probably going to be ready. Uh, defensive line looks a little dicier. So that could be where, I mean, it just kind of depends on, you know, Murphy and Collins, what kind of seasons they have this year and if they can get them back another year or not. Um, and then in recruiting, you know, it's recruiting, they don't, they don't have a lot of big young bodies stacked up in recruiting. They have to still go find some. And then when they do, they'll only be freshmen. So I, I think you're probably right um, that they will be maybe in the SEC for a year before they really have like ideal SEC championship caliber depth. But um, I, I think that they're in pretty good shape overall. They're not, you know, Oklahoma's out here taking every 300 plus pound defensive tackle they can find in the transfer portal because they are just not there in the, in the trenches. Um, and uh, it's not like every single SEC team is very comfortable with what they have there either. So uh, just your, I think we're mostly talking about, Texas competing with that upper, upper tier, you know, Georgia, 
it doesn't really seem to show up on the field, but A&M, Alabama, they have waves of NFL caliber big bodies to throw at you. And uh, that's kind of what separates the, the top programs. Speaking with Ian Boyd of InsideTexas.com, X's and O's expert uh, for the site. Uh, Ian, uh, give people a sense of what you're working on this coming week, maybe, uh, so they can look forward to, to what you got this week. Yeah, what do I what do I have this week? Um, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna look at. I feel like I've undersold Jalen Ford. I've never really done an article that examines what makes him so much more productive a linebacker than we've seen in Austin for most of the last uh, ten years. So I, I'll probably do something like I did with Brooks, where I gif five six plays and kind of break down like. Hey, here's what Jalen Ford does well. Just from – I haven't done that yet, but I think what it will center around is just how decisive he is, and he plays fast and downhill. He doesn't – a lot of linebackers play wait and see, and they have to be protected and covered up by the defensive line because they want to wait and see where the ball is going to go. Jalen Ford tends to hit and anticipate. Um, so we'll do that. Eventually I'm going to get to Trey Owens. Um I'd like to do an article just kind of breaking down Jelani McDonald as a prospect is coming in because he's such a, I feel like everybody's using him as like a blank canvas, just whatever they think the ideal defensive player is. They picture him developing into that. Um, I don't really know for myself what I think he's going to become, but I, I have actually struggled to find full game cutups. So we'll see if that actually happens or not. Tell you what, on Jalen Ford, uh, I would only suggest this for fans, uh, you know, information as well. He had zero tackles in that first game yeah. against Louisiana Monroe. Uh -huh. Then he followed it up with double-digit tackles, I think, seven or eight games in a row. Um, see if he changed a little bit from game one to games two, three, four, five, et cetera, the rest of the season, too, if you can. All right, um, Ian, I appreciate your time, man, on this Sunday. Uh, appreciate it so much. Uh, for Ian Boyd, I'm Bobby Burton. That's been this episode of On Texas Football.